0: Hey everybody, this is Eric Mueller, the host of The Eric Mueller Show. You're tuned in to the podcast that explores what makes any successful person's inner clock tick by unlocking the most impactful tools of their success portfolio. I'm joined today by Brad Baldridge, one of the nation's leading college financial planning experts. He's helped thousands of families plan and save for college with smart and proven strategies to save both time, money, and most importantly, stress. Let's head on over to the interview. Brad, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much for joining us, Brad. And and really, before we dive deep into this entrepreneurial story of yours and really kind of a unique topic that has not appeared on the show yet regarding college planning and the finances about that, we want to know what makes up your success portfolio. So if you're new to this show, some quick background on this, a way to simply view it is to think about an investment portfolio. Maybe you have a retirement account, maybe you have an individual you know, stock trading account. Whatever you're doing to advance yourself towards the financial future that you envision, that is how to view the success portfolio for success in life. So on the Eric Mueller Show, I want to discover how successful people like Brad invest in themselves and build that foundation for their success. So Brad, start us off. What are some skills or traits, habits or mindsets that make up your success portfolio?
1: I think it's mostly it's the continuous learning, right? Everything that I'm doing is relatively new, didn't exist before, but you need to kind of learn um, things that are in parallel and take what you learn in one area and apply it to the other areas. And so we're not inventing everything new. We're just stealing ideas from other areas in a lot of cases. Um, and then just the tenacity of, you know, just staying at it day after day for 20 some
0: years now. That, uh, you know, if you keep working at it, eventually you get there. Yeah, just that continual uh, moving of the needle, so to speak, and the continuous learning effort. You know, a few other people mention that just to, to never stop learning, never stop. You know, having that desire to just further advance your your skills, your knowledge base, and and Brad, kind of a component of the success portfolio that's also equally as important is what is success? What do we define that as? Because it could be, and it, and it likely is a completely subjective term. You know, you can look it up in the dictionary, but that definitely does not paint the full picture for what success means to Brad or what success means to you as the listener or me. So, Brad, start us off as well by by defining success for us, and share maybe how it has or has not changed over time for you.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, running a business and being able to set your own schedule and all the the glorious, wonderful things about owning a business—you know—that's part of success in my book. Because you know, I did work in a corporation long ago, and I did not enjoy it, and it lasted less than five years, and. I was out on my own but then the other side of that of course is you know you know now you're responsible to pay your own salary etc cetera, etc cetera. so i think you know when you're first starting out it was well we got to earn enough to you know make a living and feed the family and all that kind of stuff but now it's more well we want to do all that and have time off and not just focus on work anymore Um, i think there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that you know started off with the hustle and that's not uncommon, but I think success for some needs to be all right, the hustle phase is over. Let's, you know, do it at a more reasonable pace or controlled pace where it's not your life 24 7. You know, weekends tough. You know, I don't work on weekends. That's a good thing.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think uh that's that's definitely, you know, the perks of of being an entrepreneur and also kind of the 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 phases that come with it is you know you can you can gain more freedom in some way and lose it in others and you know it's just it's probably somewhat of a dynamic piece where you know you might eventually get even more freedom down the road but you got to put in a, a ton of work in the here and now which could be different than if you're you know an employee or if you're working you know like you said for for a corporation or so, or some type of business that's not yours from an ownership standpoint you know you're logging all these hours. And that it could be that you have a pretty steady schedule and that may, you know, it's not going to change too much. If you're a business owner, it might, you might change, you know, from day to day, week to week, it might be way more than you want one week and less than, you know, in others. And so, yeah, I think the, the, the topic that you have in terms of taming the high cost of college and really wanting to teach people how to finance college properly, that's really kind of a unique uh, business model. I actually haven't spoken to someone who has that much niche expertise in that area. Had you always, A, wanted to be an entrepreneur, and B, did you think it was going to be in this space as far as teaching people how to properly finance college education?
1: Yeah, not, not at all. I'm a recovering engineer. So I went to college, got an engineering degree, worked in the industry for four or five years, and then got involved in rental real estate when I was pretty young. So at 25, I had like nine or 10 rent checks that I was collecting. And that led me to personal finance, which led me to my CFP and all that, you know, personal financial planning and all that side of my world. And then from there, I got involved in college planning and kind of included that specialty in my business. So it's been a couple of hard left turns in my career and then kind of an evolution over the last 30 years.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, the finance piece certainly makes sense, you know, from an entrepreneurial standpoint to learn that, or if you get into, you know, an an area where you can have an additional degree and have like some, you know, some credibility behind you to take on clients. At at what point during that time frame did you did you maybe see a problem with people not having enough knowledge about college planning? Or or what what really helped you identify that niche for focusing in and and zeroing in that business uh, into that exact customer avatar that doesn't really know what they're doing? And needs your assistance.
1: Yeah. So when I got started in personal finance, it was, you know, you help whoever's willing to talk to you. And then it, as it evolves, you start generating some specialties. And college planning came about because college was becoming a bigger conversation. And, you know, through the, you know, two thousand zero through, you know, last 20 years or so, college has gone up in price very dramatically. This is about being a much bigger piece of a typical family budget. And, you know, that's one problem. And then they're adding all these programs and things that make it more and more complicated. So now there's the opportunity to, you know, help people through navigate the, the minefield, so to speak. So kind of the perfect storm of, and then not a lot of advisors understand it and are willing to put in the time and effort to be good at it. So it's kind of a specialty that not many advisors are involved in. That's changing. I mean, there are, more and more of us as we go along here but um it is a expertise that people need and they very much appreciate and uh and again like i said you know college is now up to you know over eighty thousand per year at some colleges now which is insane and for many families it's like well how do we deal with this and, not all colleges that expensive most people don't spend eighty thousand a lot of people only spend 20 or 15 or whatever but for most families it's again it's a much bigger nut than it used to be and it's a bigger challenge
0: yeah I think and and I, I think Brad for this audience and episode I think the best framework for us to do is, is to possibly run through some hypothetical scenarios so the first thing that came to my mind was you have you know a, a parent who has extreme foresight. Maybe before they've even had a, a kid, they're already starting to think about college, starting to save, starting to plan. And then on the other side, you have someone that you know, has a child, they go through their life, all of a sudden you know, their kid is very successful and wants to go to college or wants to you know, maybe go to an expensive private university that is 80000 know Maybe they're going on the East Coast to an Ivy League or something. And, a, and that parent hasn't even begun to think about that until you know the junior, senior year of high school for that kid. So kind of those two those two examples, I think it might be helpful for us to run through that just from like a strategy standpoint or you know, what are some top, you know, pieces of advice you might advise each party. So maybe if, if you're cool with that, Brad, maybe we'll do that and start off with like, let's take let's take, you know, example number one, you have you have parent A and they are the one that's gung ho. They probably they're probably type A personality. They're already thinking about it before that kid has even been born. What would you advise them to to do to start that planning process for, for the college funding later?
1: Right. Um, yeah, and what we're talking about is kind of the difference between what I would call early stage planning and late stage planning. So early stage planning is when the kids are young, all the way through middle school. Late stage is when the kids are in high school. And the big difference is when the kids are young, you're not visiting colleges, you're not taking tests, you're not doing applications, you're not doing most of the college work other than College is coming someday as parents, how do we get prepared? And what that really boils down to is thinking about, well, if as parents, we want to fund a very expensive education, that's one of our goals. Well, that has an impact on the size of the house you choose to buy when your family starts growing. Because what I see a lot of times on the other end, you know, when we have that parents of a junior, it doesn't matter what your income is you've learned how to spend every penny right so two reasonably successful professionals and all of a sudden college you we need to you know an extra two thousand a month to cover the college expenses and they're like well we don't have that And it's like well you make between the two of you you're making twenty five thousand dollars a month and you don't have two thousand for college well no because we have a big house and we have fancy cars and we have Lessons for the kids. And we, again, we've learned how to expand our lifestyle to use up all of our available funds. And so that's, I guess, what the, you know, when you're young, that's kind of that decision of, well, if we're going to fund a big college expense, then either we set some money aside early or at least we leave room in the budget so that we're not so tight when we get there that we actually have some wiggle room. Um, The reality is a lot of people I'm talking with have some save, but they didn't save enough because nobody knew college was going to go so expensive so quickly that, you know, rewind 18 years ago, I should have started saving $300 a month, but I didn't. So that's very typical as well because of daycare and all the other expenses. That's hard to save when the kids are young. It's hard to save when the kids are older. You know, there's this myth out there that kids get cheaper. They don't. (laughs) They just shift from daycare to other expenses typically. So again, it's kind of a mindset process of, okay, well, we need to carve out some money for education. If you can't afford to do it when the kids are young, then you just have to realize that as your income and your career grows, that later on, you may have to remember that, okay, we stopped with daycare, but now we really have to hit college much harder because we skipped five or 10 years. Of college and now it's a bigger bigger nut in a shorter time so like I said it's not unusual for me to talk with a family and say well to make college work out we need two thousand a month or three thousand a month for 10 years whether that's 10 years before college happens or 10 years after college happens and you're paying back loans somehow you know that money's going to need to come from somewhere and I think that's You know, again, it's also, you know, again, those are big numbers, and I'm not saying that all families do it that way. Many families put some caps and limits and say, no, we're not willing to spend that, and they find lower-cost options. But just like when you look at cars on the road, right, some people look at an expensive sports car and say, that's just not worth it. Some people look at that crazy expensive college and say, that's just not worth it. On the flip side, people drive those expensive cars. We see them on the road. That person thought it was worth it or he wouldn't have bought it. And we see kids going to those expensive schools. So they must think it's worth it or they wouldn't be going. And, you know, so that's the reality, right? Is there's options and some people want that expensive option. If that's your family that, you know, wants to do that, well then plan accordingly.
0: Yeah. And so I, obviously though, you know, those numbers as a whole could be somewhat shocking for people listening. If you're thinking, oh, another several thousand dollars a month to fund that. Either on the front end or the back end, you know, is is there anything that a person can do to to maybe earn some money on that money over time? Do you recommend people when they are saving for college per se? Are we talking about any investment strategies? And you know, obviously, this show is not uh, you know giving financial advice to people per se, but you know, we like to talk about hypothetical situations such as what we just mentioned with someone that's on the early and the late stage of the planning process. But Brad, are we talking about people investing their money and trying to grow it at the same time as saving it? Or, or what would you say is a strategy that you see is, is pretty common?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely for sure. I mean, there's certainly the the various investment vehicles that are specific to college, like 529s and education savings accounts. And then there's just general savings. And that's, I mean, that's the reality. There's a lot of families out there, not a lot, but there's some families out there that just have an inherent saving gene or whatever it might be, where... They save ahead and then they buy the car. They save ahead and then they do this and that. And financially, they get so much further ahead than someone that says, well, I'm going to go buy the car and then I'm going to pay it off later. And, you know, a lot of families that are doing that type of thing are going to say, well, we're just going to borrow a bunch of money to pay off and then pay off the college loans. I think the challenge there is it starts running up against retirement for some where it's like, okay, well, if I have to pay off student loans, that i took out for my children over the next 10 or 15 years and then i want to retire it just doesn't you know fit together as well as if you just saved a little bit and and yes if you can save and invest and get a recent regional rate of return you need to do a lot less of it than if you just you know stuff it in the mattress or whatever it might be and you know there's lots of very aggressive investments all the way through very conservative investments so there's lots of opportunity and then there's the tax planning that goes with it so for a lot of families you know again saving two or three hundred dollars a month per child might make sense and will that get you all the way there well it depends on what your goals are when you get there but it's certainly much further ahead than what a typical family is at you know a lot of people roll into college you know we're looking at college it's going to be twenty thousand or twenty five thousand for the state school we've got 10,000 saved. So we need 80, we've got 10. And I've seen families where they say, well, we've got 150 saved, but we're looking at the $200,000 school, you know, for four years, or we're looking at four years times four kids. And all of a sudden, even the little numbers add up to big numbers because there's lots of kids to deal with. Um. So, yeah, so I think it's, like I said, it's part of the goals and the planning where, and again, a lot of people don't do much of it, and they probably should do more. Of is education important to us? Because that's a, you know another you know thing that we see as financial advisors, right? People say, "Well, what's your number one goal? Retirement. What's your number two goal? Educating the kids." And then we start talking about where's the money going, and it's going everywhere except retirement and educating the kids. It's going to the sports fees. It's going to the vacations. It's going to the the slightly bigger house. You know, we needed a bigger house. We needed a car. We needed a minivan. We needed, we needed, we needed. We couldn't possibly live without it. Yet there are families that on the same income do more with less. So, you know, that's the challenge, right? Is it's my bigger garage theory. I don't go how big your garage is, it's always full. And someone that has the two-car garage looks at the guy with the three-car garage and says, Oh, if I had that three-car garage, life would be so much better. And then You get the three car garage, then you you get more stuff, and then it's full again, and then you want a four car garage. Same thing happens with, you know, the typical family and their income is as the income climbs, you start doing more, spending more, and just again, if you want to deal, if you want to have education be part of that, you've got to have the discipline to actually make it part.
0: Yeah, I think the 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 reference you you shared earlier was kind of the. You know, you you spend what you have. You know the example of even two working class professionals, maybe they make twenty five k a month ballpark. They've already found the way to spend all that. They've, they've already found a way to to make their money stretch as far as it possibly can. And not to say that that probably doesn't include some savings or investment or retirement savings and and whatnot right. before that spending. But yeah, to add on another expense to that, such as saving for college, you know, in that it will be an expense at some point, could be difficult. And so I think the the first thing that that I thought of actually with kind of this two-pronged example of an early and a late stage planner was you know if if I have a kid and I don't think about it until they're college age almost should I be maybe taking a more aggressive standpoint on saving/investing because you think with college interest rates and things that you know have changed and it's kind of a dynamic piece and how much are you eligible for you know financial aid and those are you know, subsidized versus unsubsidized, like all that different conversation. It's a whole nother level to it. But having gone to undergrad and then professional school myself, you know, I'm, I'm sitting on some interest rate loans that are much higher than they were in undergrad. And so it's it, it gets my brain thinking about from an investment standpoint, you know, if there's anything you can invest in to grow in a way that exceeds that interest percentage, then you're, then you're you know, you're making progress. You might be able to, you might be able to make it over time with which you know with the standpoint of taking out a loan, obviously it's kind of like the inverse of an investment. You're getting the money, you're going to school, but it has a negative percentage return because you're gonna to have to pay interest back on it. So I'm I guess just a long-winded way to ask that question is if someone realizes late, should they be more aggressive with their investments and their savings towards that college, or should they be less so knowing that they have more time to pay it off?
1: Yeah, as far as and I think that's a really a it's a math problem, right? If I can assume that this is the interest rate my my investments get, and this is the interest I'm paying on the loans, it's a basic math problem. And one one method will work better than the other, mathematically. But it's never as that simple, because you have to assume things like discipline. You have to assume things like, well, I'm never gonna, my income's not gonna fluctuate, or I'm not gonna lose my job, or all the different things of, where and what we you know when life happens, all of a sudden, you realize that, oh, well, this wasn't the ideal thing when you know, when the pandemic hit, you know for a lot of families and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, well, some of us are losing our income, losing our livelihood. and we, we just realized what we're paycheck to paycheck here, And you know, after six weeks, we're scrambling, trying to figure it all out. How do we cover the bills and all that kind of stuff where you know, again, people that have planned ahead a little bit and they've got some reserves and all that kind of stuff figured out, you know, those families, you know, survived a little bit better because they had six months of expenses set aside or whatever the rule you want to look at is. So. I think there's a it part of it is, you know, if i willing to take the risk and then there, of course, there's also the, you know, to get the higher rates return, you, you're going to have to. Deal with some fluctuation and volatility. And that's where now things have changed, right? I mean, right now you could get a CD at the bank for 5%. And if you still had a 3% mortgage, well, you'd be better off to, you know, obviously get 5% of the CD and slow pay the mortgage at 3% because you, you get to keep the difference. Now that's, that's rare though that those opportunities are out there. And I think that's the challenge with all of college is is it worth it, and how much are we willing to spend? But I think a very good example of that would be when parents start talking about, well, here's what we're gonna do. My kid's interested in nursings, but we don't have a lot of money. So instead of just going to college and getting the degree, we're gonna start with a, a nursing certificate and work our way up. and then, you know, As she earns her way through and then she'll get some reimbursement and all that kind of stuff. And after about eight years, she'll have her degree and she won't have had to pay. And you know, it'll work out really well. Except if you do the math and say, Well, wait a minute, if she just went straight to nursing school, borrowed all the money she needed, and graduated with a nursing degree, instead of working for 12 and 18 and $20 an hour, she'll start at 42 an hour and then get swing shift bonuses and weekend bonuses and everything else. And all of a sudden, can make quite a lot of money. If the student can have the discipline to say, Well, I'm going to live like a college student for eight years, either way. That's the big caveat, right? Because in the first scenario, you don't feel like you have a lot of money. So you continue to have roommates. You live in the college, you live the college lifestyle for eight years. Well, if you go get a degree and then continue to live the college lifestyle, you have roommates, you still eat mac and cheese, you'd have a lot of free cash flow to pay back the loans. But that's not reality. You know, most college graduates don't have that kind of discipline where they're gonna say, Hey, I'm a graduate. I deserve a new car. I deserve to live alone. I deserve that, you know, next thing you know, they've again expanded their expenses to meet their starting salary. And I get, they can still afford to pay the loans, but they're not hitting them as hard as they could have had they, you know, lived like the college student. You know, so that's that thought process of well, if this would work. Mathematics is it works out fantastic. In reality, you got to have the discipline to go with it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a helpful way to to kind of steer that conversation with, you know, a family that's that's wanting to plan. You know, in both those scenarios, you'd be able to advise them on each side of it and the pros and cons of that. But yeah, I think you make a really good point that if you have financial discipline, is going to take you far. It's kind of my takeaway from from that last uh, piece you just shared. And it's obviously easier said than done. It's it's difficult to, you know, go to school and spend all this time studying and all this money that you've taken out with loans to then flip around and say, okay, now I'm still going to live like that for a period of time, even though you know i feel the achievement of the degree i feel you know i have the job now i'm able to you know work in the in the higher tier of of you know what i was what i was expecting to be in as far as you know maybe an economic lifestyle change you know that income creep thing i think is also another piece that that really is a pretty profound you know phenomenon that we have in the world it's no matter how much you make it's always going to you know even if you make 10 million a year you live in a house that's you know a percentage of that income proportionate to someone that makes a hundred thousand a year and lives in a house that's right. X amount of dollars. So I think that's kind of one of those things that just kind of the, the thoughts that come to my mind when we're talking about college planning, it it really at its core comes down to, can you be financially disciplined? And if that is the case, you can make it work as an early or a late stager. At least that's my take on it, Brad. Do you, would you agree with that statement?
1: I would, yes. I mean, there is that overall challenge, right? Of College is expensive. And that's an interesting thing around the college pricing as well, which is there's a lot of aid out there. That's need based, which means it's based on the income and assets typically of mom and dad. Um, not always. Again, if you have an independent student and once they turn 24 and they're married, and that, then they don't have to report mom and dad. But the typical students, you know, the ones that I'm dealing with are rolling out of high school and going off to college. Um, maybe they have a gap year. Most of them don't. but. One gap year isn't going to change anything. Um, they're required to report mom and dad. It's all based on mom and dad's income and assets. So it's mom and dad's discipline that comes to play here, where and I've had a lot of typically dads and, you know, to stereotype it, but dad says something to the effect of, well, I work my way through school. My kids could do the same thing. I was like, wrong. When you worked your way through school, when I went to college, my tuition was $1,200 for the year and my room and board was 4,000 something. I could literally work in the summer, borrow a couple thousand dollars and pay for all of college myself. That is not a reality. You know, now a state school has gone up dramatically. Now, you know, it's 25,000ish for a typical state school. 27,000 is average. Show me a kid that can earn 27,000 in a summer and I'll show you a kid that doesn't really need to go to college. Uh, they've got something figured out already. Um, it just doesn't work that anymore anymore so now i'm not saying the kids should participate and help and and then again and where mom and dad can't help you know if their income is relatively low or they're unavailable or whatever it might be well then we have what's called need-based aid where again there are grants and loans and all these different programs based on mom and dad's income so if mom and dad you know earn 300 dollars a year they don't look like they need money to help with college. And then the student won't get any. So if mom and dad say no, it's their income that's causing the student be ineligible. So they're essentially telling the student you got to figure it out on your own. And the key help is not available to you because mom and dad earned too much. Whereas if mom and dad earn, you know, say 50000 or less, there's a Pell Grant for 7500 ish And there's other aid that will help fill that gap so now the local state school instead of being you know twenty seven thousand. dollars i mean still it costs 27 but you get a seven thousand dollar grant from the federal government you get a three or four thousand from the state perhaps you get a couple thousand from the school itself and all of a sudden that you add that all up and you say okay well the net cost for me for college is ten thousand still a little more than i can earn i'm gonna have to borrow some um, but I can make it work. It won't be easy, but I can make it work. Then, when you advance the family income up to say 150,000, it doesn't cost 10; it costs 20. And if you work hard at it, you can make it work. And then, if you advance the income to 300,000, well, now you don't qualify for anything, and now you have to pay the full 30,000. And you can probably make it work, but it's not going to be easy. And that's kind of that's a side effect of need-based aid, essentially, right? Is people that need it will help. For people that don't need it, we won't help. And they kind of made the line in the sand of how painful it's going to be. And once you're a brain surgeon making $3 million, well, then it doesn't really, you know, you just write the check and you're done. But for the, you know, most Americans, the, the price of college is a little bit tied to your family income. So it gets to be painful at any income level.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good way to to paint that that picture. That it's just the kind of the, the you know the shift of you know income based need in general is you know inherently going to be tied to that that system of it's it's gonna it's gonna in, in no fewer words it's gonna suck for everyone. It's just a matter of what does that suck look like for your individual situation. But to, to the topic of of what what kid could make uh, twenty seven grand in a summer, first thing that came to my mind was minor league baseball player. So if you got anything <laughs> out, I mean, you might be able to pick up, uh, you know, get signed to a club or something in your area. You might be able to make thirty thousand in a summer pretty easily.
1: But yeah, and if you, you play ball that well, you might be able to get a full scholarship at the college anyway. So there you, you know, go. You can worry about it. So then you
0: just invest that thirty thousand into some other vehicle. Yeah, that that's a that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting strategy. Maybe somebody out there, pick up pick up a baseball, start practicing. That's your number one piece of advice to to plan for college <laughs> is the the takeaway here. But. But Brad, you yeah. also you you you, uh, you know you mentioned that that a big surprise for for parents is that sticker price of college itself. So like what you see on a university's webpage is not likely to be what you pay unless you're you know like you mentioned making X million dollars a year and you can obviously just write checks for that or or they would think that you could do that. They don't know what your other right. expenses are. Your income creep. Right. You're probably driving a Bugatti. So there you go. I would say, what what would you what would you tell those parents that are surprised by that when they look on on a website or when they're shopping colleges for their for their kids, you know what they see on that website is not necessarily what they should be expected to pay. Is there is there any advice we might we might advise them? Yeah.
1: So I have a net price of colleges by state on my website, so that's a free resource where you can literally go look at your state and say, well, here's what the state schools cost, and here's the private schools in my state, and Often, what you see is a uh, you know, in my neck of the woods, we've got Marquette University. They're a private school. They list at about sixty-five thousand, but even at the highest incomes, their average price is more like thirty-five or forty thousand, because they offer just about everybody ten or fifteen or twenty thousand off. And if you need more, again, they might get you forty or fifty thousand off of a sixty thousand dollar school. Um. So on average. You know, and again, the challenge there is your family's not average. So don't assume that you're going to get, you're going to pay average. You could pay substantially more, substantially less. That's the whole college planning process that I help families with, which is once you're there, there's two steps to the process. You want to pay the lowest net cost you can. So it lists at 65,000, but you might get need based aid. You might get merit aid. You might get both. You might get scholarships, whatever it might be that and federal and state grants. That brings your net cost down to whatever it is. And now whatever's left, how do you pay that efficiently? Now it's, well, we have some savings that we do the best we could while we saved it to get it to grow as best we could. And how do we take it out efficiently without paying too much taxes? And how do we fill the gaps? Which loans are more economical than those, You know, get the lowest interest rates and all that stuff. And how do we pay the lowest taxes and all the different pieces to, again, be as efficient as we can in that whole process. And you know, it's not a magic bullet. It's not going to make college free for most people. But if you could save 10 or 20 or 30 percent on a very big ticket item for most families, it really makes sense to do the best you can and look at all these different areas. Um so that's again kind of big picture. And that's really important that families work at that through the high school years. And ideally Start freshman sophomore year of high school, so you have enough time to figure out the process and learn how it works.
0: Yeah, I think another piece, Brad, that that just kind of popped on my head at the tail end of, of of what you're talking about there was, what value do you place on higher education? So kind of a completely different way to view, you know, the the college planning. That's assuming we're going to send those kids to college. Have you had discussions with parents that are a little bit uncertain on whether they, A, want to send their kid to college, whether their kid is actually interested in going to college? Trying to tease out, because I think a lot of the listeners have, you know, a fair amount of education from a traditional standpoint. And not to say that there's not value in it. I think there's immense value in what traditional education does in the forming of your personality and your habits and just the way you live life. But there are a lot of things that we don't learn in a traditional educational standpoint such as, you know, finance is a pretty big piece of that, to be honest. So you have a high school kid that's getting ready to go to college, they're going to sign on the dotted line to take out X amount of thousands of dollars in loans. They honestly really don't know what they're doing at that time. So I don't think that that the the ramifications of that down the road. So I'm just curious, just just broadly speaking as well, what is your valuation on the, the traditional education system and, you know, getting a degree how important is that to you? You know, for someone listening, thinking about it either for themselves or a kid.
1: Yeah, so education is very important. College is a different, you know, different animal, right? Education—you don't have to go to college to get an education. Many people learned at the school of hard knocks. So there's internships. There's you know two-year degrees, four-year degrees, advanced degrees, all kinds of things with, but what. A lot of people don't realize is less than half of college students right now are that typical co-ed living on a campus in a dorm or living on campus. There's more than half of that college students right now are adult learners. They're living at home and commuting. There are all kinds of different ways that college is happening on top of the traditional. So I think that was one of the the biggest disservices that's out there is the soundbite of college for everyone. Well, if we just get everybody and everybody needs to get educated, but college is not the right fit. And I think that is one of the biggest challenges, right? You know, what's worse than having a bunch of college loans and college debt is having a bunch of loans and college debt and no degree. That is, you know, really a bad place to be. And I think, you know, Again, so people that are floundering and so forth, you know, the right answer might have been it just wasn't the right time or maybe it was never going to be right. But um, and I think and so as parents, we got to start thinking about and evaluating that of, you know, there's some kids that are academic and college is definitely the right fit. And there's certain careers and paths where, you know, if you want to be an engineer and You know, my my son's studying chemical engineering. If you want to go become a chemical engineer, the days of, well, I'm going to go to work at a chemical company and sweep the floors. And then eventually I'll sneak into the drafting department one day and prove that I know something. And then once I'm in the drafting department for 10 years, they'll promote me to engineer. That used to happen. It doesn't happen that much anymore. So now you're probably best off to go to college and get get a chemical engineering degree. And that's where you start. You know, Nursing and elementary ed, and a lot of so there's all these careers that require a particular education. And there's another interesting thing, right, where there is a whole bunch of careers where there is not a corresponding degree, right? If you want to sell MRI machines, what degree do you need for that? You know, and again, that's where a lot of the history majors and English majors end up is in sales or in management, or all you know. And again, and a lot of people do hard, you know, like myself, do this hard left turn where they go get a degree. They either never use it or they use it for a few years and then they change career paths and and do something different. So. It's a. It's something that you really need to think about and, you know, spend some time on. And I think, you know, again, I think lots of people are lucky when they have a kid that's, you know, my kid's been taking things apart. He's been an engineer since seventh grade and we know it. And It's easy and he loves it and he wants to do it, you know, or the computers or the nurse or the. Teacher or whatever it is, right? I think there's a situation where a lot of parents have kids that are undecided, and well, I don't know, I, you know. And there's two kinds of undecided. One is where nothing really appeals to them, and then there's the real go-getter kid that loves everything. It's like I love music, and I'm really good at math, but I'm not bad at English either, and I love to write, and I love to invent things, and I like art. Art's fun too. I want to do it all. How? Why? Do, if I pick something, then I can't do these other things. Isn't what they're thinking? And that they find that hard. So, that you know, so there's all these different challenges that you know, families need to understand. And the Instagram and the you know, what you see on social media, et cetera, where oh, this person is going off and getting the degree. And you know, yes, for some it is smooth sailing, but for a lot of families, it is not so smooth, whether that's just undecided or maybe they're you know, challenged with grades or you know lots of kids don't make it through their freshman year and most of them still survive they you know they come out okay they just have to figure out what the next next thing is and uh so yeah so don't you know a lot of, again a lot of parents will say well my kid has to get a degree it's like oh, yeah, okay but be careful cuz it may not work out and then what's your plan b so um I think that's, you know, again, another part of the puzzle for many families. And now, you know, again, families that you have multiple kids, you know, I don't know if you do or not, but I have multiple kids and they're they're different, right? What works for one doesn't work for the
0: other. And that's, you know, that's reality. Right. Yeah. I I, I do not have have kids at this point, Brad. And I'm sure that, you know, on the listenership, there's probably some that do, some that don't. Maybe. Maybe you're even expecting your your first child. And so I think you shared a lot of useful tips for them. I think the main one of the main takeaways that I just had there was the worst thing that can happen is you take out all this money in loans, or you save and pay, you know, sticker price or close to it for a college degree, and then end up not having a degree to show for it after the fact. You've just invested this money with really not much of a return. You know, the intangible pieces of being a student and learning how to you know, solve problems on your own and live with, you know, other people and interact. Those are pieces, you know, not, not really talking about that because, you know, that is obviously, you can't really put a price on that, but to, to go there with the intent of having a degree and not getting it is not ideal.
1: Right. And right. And if you start thinking philosophically, you know, you can go get a bunch of young roommates and go off and do your thing. You don't have to be a college student to do that. I mean, it's common when you're a college student to do that. But you could do that and be an intern somewhere. You could do that and just have a job or whatever it is. So those opportunities that are out there, it's not as clear, right? It's one of the nice, you know a lot of parents really like college because, well, they've got their own police force, and they've got rules around drinking and drugs, and they they house them in something that's reasonably safe and make sure the doors are locked. And you know, so it's not from, you know, safe at home with mom and dad to completely out on your own. It's kind of a, a springboard, you know, kind of a s- smaller step and then off to the real world. And, you know, and I, myself as a parent, I, I see that and appreciate that. Um And that's one of the reasons college is so expensive too, is we want those services. We want, you know, the police force, we want the, you know, the mental health facilities and the, the physical health facilities and the workout rooms and the social stuff and all that stuff that is part of the college experience, you know, colleges that don't have it, have discovered they can have a hard time competing so that now most colleges have all that stuff. And that's no accident. You know, as customers were demanding it and they we're unhappy because we have to pay for it.
0: For sure. Yeah. And, and I think one other piece, you know, kind of as we're getting towards the tail end of our, our talk today, Brad, one piece that I thought of that was kind of kind of a silly example, but it popped into my head, you've, I don't know if you've ever played the game of life, that little board game with the spinning wheel. You, know, you move around the board, you select a career. One of the first things it makes you do is decide if you're going to go to college or not. And I always think that's a funny way to start that game off because then you do find very quickly, no matter how old you are playing the game, that there are certain careers that they have in the game. You cannot do them if you don't have a college degree. And like we were talking about earlier, you know, a chemical engineering degree, you know, Probably required to be a chemical engineer these days. If you want to be a physician, you probably have to go to med school. You know, what I mean, it's like the, and not probably. You know, we're speaking, you know, with a, with a with a funny undertone here, but it's like that that is a reality. That if you do know that you want your kid to do, you know, their due diligence in choosing a career, some of them are going to require a degree. So you really want to have those conversations about how are you going to pay for this, and that's where a guy like Brad Baldridge comes in the founder of TamingTheHighCostOfCollege.com is his website. Brad, thank you so much for coming on the show today and, and sharing all these insights. Really cannot thank you enough for that expertise. If someone wants to reach out to you and learn more and connect with you personally, what is the best way for them to do that?
1: Everything is at the website. So TamingTheHighCostOfCollege.com, there's a contact us, there's a phone number. Um, you certainly can send us a
0: message or even schedule an appointment to somewhere. There's some calendly links and that type of thing as well. Sounds great. Well, we'll tag that all on the show notes there. And Brad, again, thanks for being a guest today. We'll look forward to following your journey and we'll keep up to you soon.